So how are you feeling this morning? You feeling anxious? I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands. I say that because there's a good chance that there are some of you feeling anxious this morning. And that could be a very sort of specific anxiety. I've got to get stuff done when I get home. Uh, I forgot to do this. Uh, You're worried about something that uh, is national, worldly, global. I have no idea. Some of it can be free-floating. There is that kind of anxiety which has no real situational piece to it. Some folks just kind of carry it with them wherever they go. And all of a sudden, it just spikes. And there is no rhyme or reason to why it spikes, but it doesn't. I don't have any statistics to back it up, but I would say for the most part, we all have that. I get anxious. Sometimes even here on Sunday morning as I'm sitting here on the facing bench, I have a little of an anxiety spike thinking, was this the right sermon? Will these be the right words? Are my pages in order? Because if they're not, then that's really going to throw me off. So I think we all have it. And I want to say this. It's very normal. So it's not as much about whether we are going to be anxious, whether we were experiencing anxiety. I think the shift is, is how do we manage that anxiety in our life? And how do we live with it in such a way that it does not necessarily be the thing that overtakes us? It's an article a few uh, months ago in a magazine that was entitled The Age of Anxiety. And the epigraph to the article said this, America seems to be in the midst of a full-blown panic attack. Is there anything we can do about it? Now, I don't, I don't know enough to speak about the whole national scene. But what I do know is the national scene and the local scene begins with the individual scene. And that is you and I. So what does it mean for us to live in such a way that we can be non-anxious and bring that to the places, as I say, that we inhabit. One theologian, Paul Tillich, uh, just to put this out there, said that there were three human experiences that often contributed to anxiety. The awareness of death, the sense that life is meaningless, and the fate or the uncertainty of life. Now that I've mentioned those, you're probably thinking, great, I'll just add that to the list of things I'm already anxious about. Now, I need to say this. There are folks who legitimately struggle with anxiety. It's not all in their head. It's real. It can be debilitating and paralyzing. There are those who may not have anxiety at that level, but there are those who who find that they need help with it, counseling, therapy, uh, sometimes medication. Um, And that's all part of this. But when we have it, we can't sleep. We feel tired. We find ways to soothe ourselves. We take vacations, breaks from social media. The anxiety seems to persist. persist. And I think part of it is this. We live in an age of 24-7 news. It's coming at us constantly. We live in a social media age. So in some ways, we're continually comparing ourselves with others. How many likes did I get? How many likes did I not get? Where did they go on vacation? Why am I not on vacation this past Wednesday uh, kind of facetiously, uh, but maybe not, I, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, Aaron and Avery, our daughter and son-in-law, are over in Europe right now, uh, going from Amsterdam to Brussels and over to Paris, and then Linda's brother and sister-in-law happened to be in London, and we're seeing all these pictures on social media, so like 5 o'clock on Wednesday, I pick up the phone, and said, I call Linda and said, hey, we're going out to eat tonight, we're not going to stay home, we're going to prove to the world that we have a life, and we're going to go somewhere. So then when we got home, I think it was, so where do you want to eat? (laughs) That raised the anxiety level right there. Where do you want to go? So there is this constant pressure 
And you add to that, we live in a world that feels if it's constant changing, rapid constant change, nothing feels stable, uncertainty about future, work, retirement, environment, medical care, to name a few. Now let's talk a little bit about meaning. The name, the word anxiety, really comes from a word that signifies a wind or air choking or strangling or something around the physical neck. Uh, that's where the Greek term comes from, just to put that out there. What's interesting is that there's a common symptom for those who suffer from an anxiety disorder. And if you've ever experienced this, or know people who have that common symptom is this. It's the difficulty of breathing. So the, the actual word for anxiety over the years and the histories and generations has literally meant a word that expresses narrowness, tightness, and suffocation. It's as if we feel the world kind of coming in on us. And I use this example in um, the adult class at 10 a.m as a way to kind of talk about this, kind of a silly example, but I said I was a big Batman uh, fan when I was a kid. And Batman and Robin always seemed to end up in a room where the walls either came this way or the ceiling of the floor came this way. Why they could never figure out each time that room was gonna do that, I don't know why, but they always went back to the same room. That's what anxiety can often feel like. The world is tightening in on us. The walls are coming in. The ceiling and the floor is coming in. And the ultimate feeling is, I have no options. I have nowhere to go. I have nowhere to escape. And sometimes we do escape in other ways, but we just feel very limited. It's interesting that in the Hebrew, the word for, the word for salvation is actually a word that describes an open space. Psalm 118.5 actually reads, quote, In tight circumstances, I cried out to the Lord, and the Lord answered me with wide open spaces. So to live with a sense of anxiety, anxiousness, is to feel as if one is living in a very tight circumstance. Life feels as if it's tightening around you and we long for that wide open space. Some of you are readers, I know, and author Jody Picoult compared anxiety to a rocking chair. It gets you going, but it doesn't get you anywhere. And when it gets us going, it gets a lot of things going. It gets our heart rate going, it gets our minds going. Um, Clarissa in class uh, this morning at 10 a.m. used a great example. Sometimes it causes thought distortion, that the narrative in our head does not match the narrative of reality. But often anxiety, when it spikes, basically creates within us this narrative that isn't true, but it's one that we have made up because we can't think clearly. We can't reflect clearly. And oftentimes this is what we assume is happening or what we assume is going on. And then one last thought. Peter Stanky, he is an author and consultant in this area, talks about fear and anxiety. He says this, fear is connected to a specific threat like spiders or snakes, closed or open spaces. There is an object involved. Anxiety, on the other hand, is more generalized. It is subjective. It is anticipated. Anxiety is objectless. It lacks an identifiable force or feature. It is an unease beyond any clear cause. It is an indefinite, vague apprehension. Or as one person said, the motto of anxiety is this, start worrying, details will follow. We don't know exactly what we're anxious about, but we're sure we'll find out at some point during the day or the week in the next moment. Now, I'm going to apologize ahead of time because I'm giving you a lot of information here that may make you feel anxious. But what I want to say is simply this. Anxiety can be managed. Anxiety can be lived with. In some ways, anxiety through our own faith and spiritual journey 
can be managed in such a way that we can become calm. But I think it takes awareness, and I think it takes us engaging in spiritual practice, if you will. And I'll get to that in a few moments. So what I want to give you just real quickly are what are called some triggers for anxiety and the effects. And I'm just going to go through these very quickly because I don't want to spend a lot of time on them. Some of the triggers of anxiety can be this, disruption. You have a change or a loss or separation, even innovation. If you work somewhere, if you're in a congregation, innovation and new things can often create anxiety because it's what? It's a change. It's a disruption to what we know. If you've ever walked into a grocery store and you're like, this is where the bread used to be. Where is the bread now? That causes what? A sense of anxiety. That seems silly on the surface, but that's what happens. Disruption takes us out of our normal routine. The feeling of being trapped, helpless, hopeless, powerless. Threats, real or imagined. This is where we often catch ourselves coming into play with 24-7 news. Everything is a threat. Everything is coming at us. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but everything is breaking news. Everything is breaking news. Now, I can look at that with a sense of a chuckle, but here's the thing. We don't realize what that's doing to our system. We don't realize what that is doing to our psyche. We don't realize what that is doing to our soul. Because once we hear breaking news, what happens? We spike. We go on alert. Our body is all of a sudden on alert. And we're ready. Now, half the time we're like, I heard that this morning. Well, that's not breaking news. And then we got to bring ourselves back down again. Our life almost is a constantly bringing ourselves back down from that spike that we experienced. Differences will sometimes trigger anxiety. Differences in beliefs, ideology, values, politics, sometimes um, even diversity. Uncertainty, doubts, unknown, a sense of ambiguity and depletion. Now, this is the one thing that I know about myself. When my anxiety level is going up, a couple things are happening. My energy level is going way, way down. When I'm tired mentally, when I'm tired physically, when I'm tired emotionally, that's when my anxiety level goes up. So depletion of our own sense of self and, and our own body creates it. And real quickly, some of the effects of anxiety end up being this. We get imaginative gridlock. In other words, we can't think or understand or create something new. We have no options. Our imagination just basically shuts down. Um, the realm of options or possibilities. Our capacity to learn uh, goes away. We have a demand for certainty. Uh, our attention focuses from self to external factors. Uh, differences are magnified. Defensive behaviors are magnified. Sometimes there's a blaming of others. And then this is the one, and again, to speak very honestly, we postpone patience, and it often leads to foolish decisions. Now again, there's some of these that circle around Scott Wagner, and some of these that zero right in, and I would say this. If there's one that identifies Scott Wagner with my picture beside it is when I'm anxious, I get less patient. And when I'm less patient, I want things to happen yesterday. I want to fix it now. I want to control it. And we've often heard people have been sometimes accused of being a control freak. Um, I'm in the Hall of Fame, okay, when it comes to that. I say that to say that what happens is when my anxiety level goes up, I want to control everything that I can. Because what happens is we think that will reduce it. It will somehow reduce the ambiguity. Now, I am painting with a very, very big brush here, a huge brush. But what I'm trying to simply say is this. It is probably much more prevalent than you and I realize in terms of our own system and our soul 
at our psyche. And I may want to just brush it off, but what happens is it affects everything about us. It affects how we relate to people. It affects how we live. It affects our well-being. It affects organizations. It affects uh, companies and teams. It affects everything about us. And we may be the only non-anxious person in the room, but sometimes all it takes is one non-anxious person to make a big difference in a whole organization. Chronically anxious people in organizations eventually just simply burn out. And that's my concern is when we're chronically anxious, we have no more energy to really live fruitfully and to flourish. So we come back to this verse. Whenever I feel my foot slipping, your faithful love steadies me, Lord. When my anxieties multiply, your comforting calms me down. So this past week, I had a moment, and I want to share this part with you. I had a moment where I read this verse, and I began to ask myself, so how can I practice some spiritual practice in a way that pulls me back from these anxious moments? And I took this word calm, and I simply used it as an acronym. And I know acronyms can sometimes be overly simplistic and silly, and you don't have to use this. If this doesn't work for you, that's perfectly fine. What I would encourage you is to find a way, some kind of spiritual practice to manage and live into the anxiety, if you will. But here's what I began to write. And interestingly enough for me, it actually keeps coming back to me throughout the day. In fact, I was kind of practicing it here this morning. I don't know why. Preaching a sermon on anxiety tends to make someone anxious. And so I began simply thinking through this this morning. So I took the word calm, and I started with the word see. And I just simply wrote down connect. And I said to myself, I need to each day connect with the source of life, capital S and capital L. I need to connect with God. I need to connect with my deepest values. I need to connect with the source of life that loves me unconditionally and that says to me, no matter what happens, no matter what you do, no matter what goes on, you matter and you are value. What matters is you are a human being. I simply said to myself, Connect, connect, connect. Connect with who you are, connect with God. And so I just began to sit there in silence and ask myself um, and, 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 and see myself connecting with God in that way. That's what I see prayer as, is connecting with God in a way that, that reminds me of God's love. And sometimes I do that through prayer, through silence, through scriptures, and sometimes through inspirational literature. And then I took the A and I wrote down the word aware. I began to become aware of what's going on inside of me, what's going on around me. One of the, one of the biggest challenges is, is being self-aware of our own self and admitting what's going on. Am I scared? Am I fearful? Am I angry? Am I resentful? Do I feel hurt? What is the uncertainty? How tired am I? What can I not control that I'm trying to control? Uh, one author put it this way, very simply, no awareness, no choice. If I'm not simply aware, then I reduce the level of choices I can make. If I am aware, then I can choose how to respond to life. So I began to connect, and I began to be aware of what was going on inside of me. And then I took the L, and I simply wrote the word listen. Listen to my life. Listen to my heart. Listen to my soul. What is it telling me? What is God prompting me? What is God speaking to me? What is God nudging me? And I realized this, in order to listen, you have to do one thing, you have to slow down. You have to just take time to sit 
and reflect. And that in and of itself can be a very important practice. And then I took the M, and I just simply wrote this word, be mindful, or mindfulness. Go through my day being mindful of the moments, mindful of God, mindful of my own heart and soul, mindful of what I'm feeling and sensing, mindful of everything that is graced around me, mindful of all that is good, and sometimes mindful of what is not going well, and how can I pay attention to that? And what I realized was this. As I began going through my day and I began to see my anxiety spike a bit, I would actually take a step back and I'd kind of work through this. Where am I feeling disconnected? How am I connecting with God? Am I remaining aware of what's going on around me and within me? Am I listening inwardly? Am I listening outwardly? Am I living mindfully? Am I paying attention? What is God up to in my life? Now, I say this to say that for the time being works for me. I don't know what will work for you, but what I have come to find out is this, to make an intentional movement toward God, to make an intentional movement to, if you will, kind of inhabit and, and be present within our anxiety, reduces, reduces the fearfulness of it. And we begin to ask the questions, how can I be present in this? And how can God be present within me? And what's causing it? And how can I connect with God in a very real way? I wrote this prayer this past week, and here's what I offered for myself. Loving and gracious God, teach us how to live from a calm center. May we live into the reality that we are surrounded continually by your love and we have nothing to fear. May our trust be such that we know you will provide all our needs and we can live each day with simplicity and joy. May you love and may your love steady us and may your love comfort us and may your love calm us. I think this is important, not just for me, but I think this is important for life in general because one of the things I tell folks in organizations, myself, leaders, is the biggest gift we can bring is to be a non-anxious presence to life, is to be a non-anxious presence to this world, to be those who have found a calm center, to be those who can bring that to life. So we bring peace, we bring a sense of joy, we bring that simplicity, and we bring that to bear on all that we do.